Hey, hey, and welcome to episode 61. As always, thank you much, Lee, for taking the time out of your morning, afternoon, or evening, as the case may be, to click on that little triangle that points to the right for a go-round to this podcast that thrives in all things cinematic, past, present, and future. Whether this is your first listen or your 61st, much obliged. My name is Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. For this episode, we're going to dive into a discussion about the Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World franchise, with more of a focus on Dominion, the one released just a few short months ago. Joining me today are three special guests, DJ Nick, Zan, and Rachel. Together, they are the three co-hosts of the Gold Standard podcast, which looks at each Oscar-winning best picture in chronological order. They have a lot of thoughts that they bring to the table in all their episodes. I had the opportunity to guest on their show for a look at 1978's The Deer Hunter back in May, and they've been gracious enough to welcome me back early next year for 1996's The English Patient. So it's exciting to host them right back. DJ Nick was particularly interested in the Jurassic films, and I'm glad he was because Silver Screeners has not covered any of them yet. But if the idea of talking about a franchise that's 29 years old makes you jump up and holla, No, no, just remember the words of actress Lauren Bacall. It's not an old movie, if you haven't seen it. Our conversation is pre-recorded, so once it wraps up, be sure to stick around for a quick rundown of the weekly online poll results and listener trivia segment. I want to keep this intro brief and just dive right in. Back off, Dino! I said it's brief. Anyway. Here's the conversation that Gold Standard and I had on the franchise. Spoiler alert for all of the films, now. How you doing, everybody? And welcome to the show. We have with us from the Gold Standard podcast, we have DJ Nick, we have Rachel Friend, and we have Zan Sprouse. Welcome, everybody, to the show. And I want to give you all the chance to introduce yourselves and to, to tell us about your individual projects and the project that you all do together as well. So anything you have to say, I yield the floor to you. Well, uh, as, as chivalry dictates, I would say ladies first. So uh, either Rachel or Zan, uh, you're welcome to take the floor. It's your fault we're here, though, Nick. <laughs> you, you, you drive us. I... You tell us. You tell the world who we are. Very well. Well, I am DJ Nick, one third of Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. That I do co-host with these lovely, lovely ladies who answer the names of Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend. We've been doing this now for over two years. It's crazy. It's already been two years. It's amazing. Time definitely flies when you're having fun. Basically, what we do is, at least when it comes to Gold Standard, is uh, we're reviewing all the best picture winners in chronological order. We started way back in 1927 with Wings and moving our way up. And crazy enough, as I we were mentioning off air, we are now in the 80s and it just blows my mind that we've already come so far and it's just such a joy to be podcasting with two just knowledgeable fantastic and beautiful people like Zan and Rachel I just count my blessings every day that they decided to uh, follow me on this crazy journey that I thought up one rainy one not rainy actually sadly one very hot day in June so uh, I definitely appreciate that and uh, that's pretty much I think it. unless uh, Zan or Rachel you want to add anything to that no, that's about yes. it. Yeah, we're just trying to uh, keep film history alive and remind people of uh, what's gone on since the dawn of the Oscars. And occasionally take the uh, the Academy to the carpet. <laughs> Often take the Academy <laughs> to the carpet. Yes. And in you, 1977. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. And I had the good fortune of guesting on the gold standard a couple of months ago when you did your episode on 1978's The Deer Hunter. So I'm glad that I'm able to return the favor here and to have you on Silver Screeners. So thank you for making the time to to be here today. Oh, a pleasure. Mm-hmm. So we are here today to talk about the Jurassic Park franchise with probably more of a focus on the latest film that came out just several months ago, Jurassic Park Dominion. Where do we begin? (laughs) There are so many things that so many different directions that we could go in with this franchise. So probably the best place to begin is to ask you all if you have seen Dominion. And if so, would you give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down or a thumbs sideways? Well, at least, uh, you know, starting with me here real quick. Yes, I, I definitely watched it. It was one of those films I dragged my friends to because uh, I say drag because uh, I am very, very particular about watching movies in the original language. I don't want to watch them dubbed as much as we have the best dubbers in the world. And I say that with, uh, you know, with conviction, because I do know that uh, the original stars, actually American stars want to meet their Italian dubbers because they're so blown away at how good they are. So On that note, I'm like the only one in my group that watches movies in English, being obviously in Italy. And so I told my friends, I'm like, I'm going to the movies to see Jurassic World Dominion. Bear in mind, it's in English with subtitles. You guys want to come along? I'm like, and they're like, yeah, sure, of course, because the dialogue's not going to be important, right? So, (laughs) so, so they're like, okay, it's like, go to watch a porn movie. You're there for the action. You're not there for the dialogue. So, uh, so, um, so, uh, so off we went. And I have to say, for me, it's a definitely, definitely a thumbs up. As crazy and kooky and silly as this movie is, for me, it's definitely a thumbs up. I'm going to have to give this one a thumbs up as well. Not because it's a quality movie. It's a ridiculous movie. It's the, one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen. And I love every second of it. I went to see it in the theater when we found out we were going to be on this show. And I thought, I, I got to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just one, you know, one Tuesday night I was free and I went by myself and the theater was, you know, dark enough and spaced out enough that I was able to text Nick during it because Nick had already seen it. And I was just like, is this what? Oh, my God. This, this is amazing. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And it's amazing. And I was there for every second of it. Fallen Kingdom was also kind of stupid, but this one is so much better. And it's so many different types of movies starts out as this James Bond or Jason Bourne movie where they're going through Malta on motorcycles trying to infiltrate this black market that sells dinosaurs. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then it goes into this sort of, you know, remains of the day kind of love story of like what could have been love story. And then we're in a Jurassic Park movie and then all of a sudden, we are in a 1950s locust movie. I was just there for all of it. I was loving every second of it. I'm like, this is so dumb. This is ridiculous. This is nowhere near the quality of script or storytelling of the first couple of mo- first two, personally. But I love this ridiculousness. Just the throwing a spear with a flaming, genetically enhanced locust on the end of it at a dinosaur. I am all there. I am all in. <laughs> all in for that yeah i didn't get a chance to see it in theaters thankfully it's not out now out on streaming and and the like which was probably a good thing because i'm pretty sure that if i'd seen those locusts on a big screen i would have died i hate bugs (laughs) so having them shrunk down to the size of my computer screen i was much better (laughs) i could do blood i can do guts i anything with more than four legs is just oh but I would almost give this one, you know, what, a 45 degree angle thumb? 
<laughs> you know, if sideways <laughs> is 90 degrees and straight up is zero, I would give it 45 degree angle because yeah, it's almost like, okay, we have the Jurassic Park movies, which yeah, are actiony, but they're not the same type of action as like James Bond or Indiana Jones or something like that, where a lot most of the action comes from the dinosaurs and people just trying to survive the dinosaurs. But then then they started, they made this second trilogy with Chris Pratt. And they're like, well, he's an actual action star now. So it's not just going to be the dinosaurs. You've got a guy that's going to be riding motorcycles and doing all these things. So he's like a bona fide action star. But then they put this movie and they bring together the OG crew and Chris Pratt. And it's like, okay, how do we still give Chris Pratt the opportunity to do the action scenes that we know Sam Neill is never going to do? <laughs> so it's like, like, how do we make this make sense? Well, let's let's have them be completely separate until like the last like 20 minutes of the movie where they finally meet up. <laughs> and then that makes it really easy. Fallen Kingdom was weird, but not necessarily in a good way. I like the first I like the Jurassic World. Yeah, I like the idea of they hey look, they finally were successful. There's a park you can go to it. And then of course, you know, shit hits fan. But I like this is just it's so fan service, but in the best way. You know, they give us little Easter eggs and nods to the origins that if you've been a fan since the very beginning, then you're going to be looking for those things and be like, oh, that's a thing that, you know, that's the, a reference to that, you know. I mean, the fact that our villain is Dodson. <laughs> Dodson, <laughs> Dodson, we got Dodson here. Dodson here. <laughs> and this Nobody time, cares. everybody cares. <laughs> it's brilliant. Well, I'll tell you, as soon as they had that close up of the shaving cream can, the Babasol, I said to myself, oh, OK, that's not an accident. <laughs> I mean, it easily could have been Gillette, but they went with Babasol, <laughs> which actually does lead me to the next question that I have for you all, which is as far as the I'll divide this into two questions. I was originally going to ask, what's your favorite of the franchise? But I'll make it a little bit more fair. What's your favorite of each of the two trilogies? If you had to pick one of each of those sets of three to be the top two, what would you say they are? Well, I mean, when it comes to me, I think it's no contest in the sense that to me, it's Jurassic Park from 93 when it comes to the, uh, the Jurassic Park franchise. I mean, with Lost World, a close second because the Joe Johnston thing, less said about that, the better, at least when I'm as far as I'm concerned. When it comes to, uh, to Jurassic World... I would actually say the Jurassic World Dominion is my favorite of the three, because before that came along, Jurassic World was my favorite compared to Fallen Kingdom. But I think just mainly for the nostalgia it brings, Jurassic World Dominion is probably my favorite. And it's also the rewatchable value this film has. You can literally rewatch this a million times. And I, I know that I'm going to do that. As soon as the Blu-ray comes out, I am watching the hell out of this because, uh, yeah. So when it comes to me, I would probably say uh, Jurassic Park and, uh, and this one. That's a tough one because I realized recently, and this is just a little personal story. Recently, I was talking with my husband about these movies and I just started rattling off like trivia and mythology. And I was like, I'm 
way more into this fandom than I ever quite realized that I was. <laughs> these are movies I really love and I never quite realized it. So these sort of feel like Star Wars to me, where there's Jurassic Park, the first movie, and it's just untouchable. It really changed the way we saw movies. I saw this movie in the theater when it came out. I had read the book in school. I read it for school the year before. Then the movie comes out. I go to see it. And we're all like, those are dinosaurs. Somewhere in the world, they found dinosaurs and filmed them. It blew us away. So I feel like that one's kind of untouchable. So that's sort of my my favorite of everything. I really do like The Lost World. I like the concept that, of course, there's a site B. And I like that we get more Ian Malcolm. That's the one thing that these movies, there, there's other things too. But the main thing for me that the movies have over the book is that Ian Malcolm survives. Yes. And that. I got to say, I was a little worried in Dominion that we were going to lose somebody and that it was going to be him. <laughs> but the fact that we get more Ian Malcolm, it's like we realized through this, through the first movie, it's like, oh, wait, maybe we shouldn't have killed that character. <laughs> let's let's make another movie with him. So I really did like that. And I liked the Julianne Moore character. These are movies that are great for younger women in the 90s to see women scientists just doing women science things. They're not the assistants to all the other doctors like we saw in the 1950s. Yeah, Jurassic Park 3 is not something I'm into. It's like, I'll watch the pterodactyl scene, but it's, it, and it sort of was, it, it felt like Laura Dern and Sam Neill were like, oh wait, a sequel's successful? We want to be in one then. So I feel like they got shoehorned in. So, you know, aside from Jurassic Park, out of the sequels, definitely Lost World. And then from... The Jurassic World series, I'm with Nick. Dominion's my favorite. Like I said, stupid, but I love it. Like Rachel said, I love Jurassic World. I love the idea that they were able to successfully make this park. And they have this, this world. You're watching this movie where there's a world where people go to this park like it's Disney World and they're jaded about it. And they're just like, oh, it's hot. And probably kids who go to rich private schools go there for field trips and like, oh, we're going to Jurassic World again this year. Like that that world to me is amazing that you can get jaded by dinosaurs to the point <laughs> where scientists have to make an Indominus Rex for you to show up. Like the fact that so that you have to like make bigger dinosaurs for people to to be interested. It's like it should be enough that they're freaking dinosaurs. <laughs> And I love that. I loved the attention to detail in that movie with the, that promenade of gift shops and restaurants and about how there's like a Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville there. It's so cool. <laughs> it's like downtown Disney. And they did, did a fantastic job with that. And I love the nostalgia of it where the two kids, they find the original Jurassic Park, they find the Jeep. You've got Jake Johnson in the Jurassic Park t-shirt and his co-workers are like, you know, people died there, right? He's like, what? It's vintage. Um, <laughs> So I, I really loved that about it. And Fallen Kingdom, I loved the ridiculousness of it. I loved Ted Levine. I always loved Ted Levine. And I loved the idea that you could smuggle smuggle dinosaurs off of an island, saving them from, from a volcano, only to bring them to upstate New York in some rich man's basement and have some weird black market <laughs> despot <laughs> auction for who wants the most deadly dinosaur because that I, I love that they did that in the movie because it sounds ridiculous but that's exactly what would happen if dinosaurs were real it would be like dinosaur dog fights or cock fights or something or illegal racing all that kind of stupid crap that would happen but i think dominion is my absolute favorite of those because it brings everyone together first of all i would have liked to have seen more people come together like i would have loved to have seen the kids back 
you know, Ariana Richards, Joe Mazzarello, and even Vanessa Lee Chester. I would have loved to have seen them all back for this. I would have loved to have seen Julianne Moore back for this. I'm pretty sure that Taya Leone and, um, <laughs> oh, I just lost his name. Anyway, those parents oh, from Jurassic Park. William Park, H. Macy. William H. Macy. I'm sure they're yeah. staying the hell away from that after what happened to their kid. But yeah, I would have liked to have seen the kids come back, but I, I love that everyone, and I remember thinking watching this movie when they're all standing there together and the only real new person there is the little girl and the woman, the actress that plays the pilot. And I'm thinking, do they realize the the gravity of the situation they're in right now? Like the film history they're in. So yeah, I love that everyone came together. I love that we got Dilophosaurus again. Why did it take us so many movies for another Thank you. scene? Yeah, it's like, I think I think my favorites are the bookends, the first one and the last one. Yeah, I'm with Dan. The I mean, the first one, like Nick was saying, just kind of a touchable, and it's it, the fact that it still holds up because they took the time to try to do as many practical effects as possible. Even though by then CG was becoming more commonplace, but you know Steven Spielberg, love him or hate him, recognized that animatronics and big ass puppets was the way to go <laughs> for believability and that's what they did with this one there's like 18 animatronic dinosaurs in this movie so they they went back to to basics as best as they could and the, the, i think it's because this one uh, dominion is so close to the very first one that if you love the first one, you kind of, I would imagine you probably are going to love this one just because they, there's, it's so nostalgic and because they treated it behind the scenes like the first movie. So it, it looks and feels like the very first one all over again. So yeah, they're, they're kind of the, the perfect bookends to this six, <laughs> six movie franchise. If I had to pick a favorite one out of the original trilogy, I'm with all of you. Definitely the first, because it was so new. It was so different. No movie like it had ever really been made before. Kind of like Zan, I think it was you who had said Star Wars like that from 1977. The reason why it was such a smash hit, the reason why Jurassic Park became the, at its time, the number four movie of all time was just that. It was something that had never been tried before, something that had never been seen before. It was an original idea. And I actually have to go against the grain here as far as my feelings on the second one, The Lost World. I loved having Jeff Goldblum back. I think he makes a better leading man than Sam Nail does in terms of charisma, in terms of his sense of humor. But the story I found, I don't know, a little lackluster. I did like, I liked the cast very much. I liked Julianne Moore, Vanessa Chester, uh, even Vince Vaughn. I did like them all. Um, but it was a it was something to do with the not so much repetition, I thought, but almost beating some beating an idea into the ground. Maybe it was just the timing. I'm not sure. The first one came out. I was 19 years old and I can remember a friend of mine saying, oh, yeah, when I watched it, it was on my college campus. And so I was actually behind the screen in the auditorium, hanging out with a couple of people. We were on our backs. And so it looked like the T-Rex was coming down right at us. I remember thinking to myself, ooh, that must have been a trip. <laughs> so I wasn't there, but that would have been something cool to see. And then with the second one, I did see it in the theaters, so I got the big screen experience, but something about it just didn't feel quite as adrenaline pumping. Then the third one came out, which I saw in video. I never saw it on the big screen, enough said. 
Jurassic World rebooted the whole thing. And I found Jurassic World to be to have a lot of parallels with The Force Awakens. Number one, they were both released in 2015. <laughs> but number two, they both rebooted a much loved franchise that was highly lucrative and iconic. And both of them took the, the original in their respective franchises and very much used it as a blueprint for the plot. And for the, you know, you have in Jurassic World, you have the two brothers, you know, just like you have the two siblings in the first one. These two brothers are dealing with their parents' imminent divorce, just like in the first one, the parents shove them off to the grandfather. In Jurassic World, it's an aunt, and the first one, it's a grandfather. So, you know, you have those parallels, which I'm sure were not accidental. If you have a winning formula, then why mess with it? Fallen Kingdom, I very much appreciated, I think, the most for its aesthetics. The volcano erupting, the fiery ash, the vision when they're all escaping the islands and the last of the dinosaurs. That That was... I just watching just watching those dinosaurs like where are you going I'm like no I was very emotional watching that scene. Mm-hmm. That that was very skillfully shot and edited and it hit you between the eyes with the emotion. I won't say that I think it's a better film than Jurassic World but I will say that in terms of in in terms of trying something different I give it a lot of credit for that an exploding volcano swallowing up the world and then introducing the concept of human cloning for the first time in the whole franchise. And then this one, the Dominion, taking that a step further and giving us more of Maisie's backstory. So I would probably go with a two way tie between Jurassic World and Dominion. I love the fact that the original trilogy, the original characters from the original trilogy were reunited. It was great to have them all back again. They all appeared in sequels at one point or another like you said, just shoehorned in. But to have them all sharing the screen at the same time, I definitely give Dominion points for that as well. And the you really good point about Maisie, mm-hmm. um, because of course they would. Of course there would be human cloning. And I appreciate the idea that like everybody that we're supposed to believe in Jurassic World is now jaded. Like there's this park and we just see dinosaurs all the time. By the time we've gotten to this fifth movie as an audience, we're kind of jaded like oh, another Jurassic Park whoa humans like I think that that amazing was a great way of saying like wow these guys were nuts what is up with this what is up with InGen <laughs> what is up mm-hmm. with what is up with this company and and exactly of course there would be human cloning it's it's the fact that they made it such a heartwarming situation where he had the daughter that he didn't want to lose but it just seemed like an absolute natural progression. And the fact that we got to see it, I think made a lot of sense. That was a nice thing with Fallen Kingdom to get you hooked again with what, where's this going to go? And so I think Maisie was a fantastic addition. I totally agree. And also I think you makes one want to explore the rest of the Hammond family tree. Cause you think uh, Lex and Tim all right. I mean, is something there that we maybe should check on, which to your point, Zan would have been interesting to have had an older Lex and Tim show up because I believe that at this point, them and Maisie would be related, correct? No, because Maisie's father, grandfather, I don't even know. Yeah, was, grandfather. Uh, was Hammond's is, partner, wasn't yeah. Hammond. Ah, okay, so they're not, yeah. they're not part of the same. Yeah, we Hammond. Wonder what, right, it's, 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 it's not that, but you know, I always sort of wondered, like, did this- Maybe come, Hammond did the same thing. Did this completely crush Tim's interest in paleontology? Because- <laughs> He was Maybe. such a, you know, where he's talking to Alan Grant and I read, th- I read your book and this other book by this guy named Backer and his book was that thick. And 
he was, and had illustrations. <laughs> and he, yeah, and, he, and, <laughs> and yours had illustrations, honey. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, did this absolutely kill that? And is he now like a veterinarian of mammals, like no reptiles anywhere? Like, what did that do to these kids? Same thing with with Ariana Richards, and same thing with uh, Vanessa Lee Trester. Like, did she go back to the gymnastics team? Like, <laughs> Maisie has kind of just lived with a lot of this stuff. You know, she's she was born into a world where dinosaurs exist. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But yeah, no, they're not related. I forget, okay. Forget his name, though. I forget the Maisie's grandfather's name off the top of my head. Right. No, because I was I think it was Blackwood. Could it be or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, they they were partners initially. You know, Hammond Hammond in these movies is so much nicer of a guy Lockwood. than he is in the book. Lockwood. There you Lockwood, go. It was yeah. something Lockwood. Woods. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, in the in the book, Hammond is like a little bit more like that shit crazy. The, yeah, he's he's a little bit more like the uh, the the what is it the nephew in the second yeah, movie? Correct. Um, he's a little bit more cutthroat. He's a little bit more batshit. And but in but in the movies, he's very this kind old Richard Attenborough. He's this kind old man that just wants his own real flea circus. And so when Lockwood started trying to clone humans, he's like, dude. <laughs> Like you gotta, That's where I draw the line. This is a little, this is a little weird. I mean, I understand that you're grieving and shit, but this is weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, I actually want you know, since it seems that obviously the everybody, the one that everybody hates is Jurassic Park Three. It blows my mind because you think it's Joe Johnston, who's a director who's given us so many amazing movies. When I mean, you think of Captain America, the first Avenger, which he directed, and then so many of my favorite childhood films like Jumanji and The Page Master and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I think this is very much his faux pas, and I suppose a lot of directors sometimes unfortunately have their faux pas movie, because from somebody like Joe Johnston, you expect something really, really cool, and I guess either it was just a bad script, or he didn't get the franchise, or... And I Steve- think it was a script problem, because the, the idea of it is, again, of course this would happen. Of course rich people would find some way to monetize their hubris over the animal kingdom, and still figure out a way to visit Jurassic Park. So this whole idea of for $10,000, $15,000, I'm going to take you hang gliding over the old site. There's T-Rexes and prehistoric birds, okay? There's pterodactyls. This is not a good idea. So that idea that this is this black market tourism, absolutely, of course, that would happen. So I, I liked that concept. There was this added drama, I think, with the... William H. Macy and Taya Leone characters being divorced. That was kind of unnecessary because remember it was her new boyfriend, I think. I yes. don't think she's married to this guy yet, but yeah, it was her new boyfriend that took their son and then they went missing. So that's why they want to hire Alan Grant to go find him. And there are some just goofy things like the talking raptor, the talking raptor. And then there's the whole on the phone, you know, hi, get mommy. It's the dinosaur man. Oh God. I mean, there were just some just some little goofy things, but but that scene in the aviary when it's foggy and then you just see those birds walk into them. That's that's incredible. I mean, that's worth watching the movie for that scene. Again, I still can't quite figure out how they talk Dr. Grant into it because he's he's never been particularly like monetarily driven for himself. He's monetarily driven for his digs, not for himself. And here's this poor guy like trying to do these lecture circuits and everybody's asking about Jurassic Park because they know what Ian Malcolm has said and they want him to say it too. And so there was, it just kind of felt like this manufactured drama and Alan Grant, they even say at the beginning of the movie, he's because Alan Grant's like me, he's a digger. He's not a tracker. 
if they were going to do that, they would need somebody like, of course, they couldn't have Pete Postlethwaite, couldn't have Muldoon. A Julianne Moore character might have been a little bit better, but it just he didn't seem like the right guy for it mm. because of who he was. He's he's so hands off, observe, not the tracker type. So it just it, he like I said, he felt shoehorned in. So, yeah, I think it's the script more than anything else, because there are some really gorgeous dinosaur scenes in that. I will agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he didn't run it in run the franchise necessarily into the ground like no. Schumacher did with the Batman franchise. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but I think there are dinosaur you know, nipples in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I guess it's it's a shame because, like I said, you know, I being a big fan of Joe Johnson, it kind of saddened me personally, being a big fan of the man's work, that this was kind of his, should we say, uh, less least good movie that he's done thus far so i mean i know that these days he's more of a producer than a director just couldn't get this right who just didn't have the right writers for the job the third one to me just felt very tired i'm not yeah. gonna say no actually you know what maybe i will say that it seemed like they were all doing it half-heartedly pocketing the paycheck cranking out another sequel but it didn't bring anything new to the table i didn't think in terms of the evolving storyline of the franchise with this new trilogy, as you said, we finally have the pack open. We have the introduction of the theme of human cloning. But Jurassic Pack 3, just it was almost like a bridge. It just wasn't quite ready yet to introduce anything new, any fresh ideas. It was a rehash. And Sam Neill, well, Dr. Grant, he was enticed back to the island, supposedly because the money that they offered him, pretending to be millionaires, was going to be enough to fund his research. Mm -hmm. With his partner, Billy, or his apprentice or whatever the his right hand man or his, his squire, I don't know whatever the right word is. But it, it, even that didn't seem to be enough of a credible reason to bring him back to the island, I didn't think, given everything that he went through in the first one and everything he was saying at the beginning of the third one. These are creatures that should just never be touched and leave them alone. Like Hammond was saying at the end of the second one, just trust nature to do its thing. Separation. Hammond finally learned his lesson. Beginning of the third one, everything Grant is saying is repeating what Hammond was saying, and that's very much what he was trying to get Hammond to understand in the first one. Now, all of a sudden, he's the one who's going back to the island for money, and it just it just didn't seem congruous with his character, I didn't think. Yeah. And then having the whole... Go ahead. I was just saying, you mentioned that it was, it was tired, and I'm thinking about they did just sort of go back to things they thought would work that were kind of inconsequential. For Lost World... We at least had, they're now in Isla Sorna. They are trying to bring dinosaurs back. This is the first time we've seen them trying to bring dinosaurs back to the United States. We have that. We're trying to stop people from going in and picking up the baby and taking them back. But in this one, it's like they're back to Isla Nublar. It's the same thing. And it's it's almost like they didn't have money to recreate the set. So they had, you know, the the ruins of the old set just to remind you like remember that other movie that you really liked a few years ago so yeah it did just feel feel tired and recycled a little bit and i have to admit it at the end of dominion the whole like ellie of course i'm going with you i'm like finally this romance gets back on track you know so we have to see you know ellie marrying <laughs> some other guy and him all lonely and i'm like damn it this is not what i want out of these two characters you know you're not rooting for much. Like even this, even this kid and his step soon to be stepdad, it's like, why, why did you do this? What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's and and then with, with with Dr. Grant, you're like, Dr. Grant, you know this is a bad idea. You need to call more people for this, <laughs> and you need to be calling the 
Costa Rican police or something to, to, to deal with the fact that this is, and I know they talk about that it's illegal and so they can't involve authorities, but yeah, it just felt tired and recycled. I think tired's a good word. When it came to Dominion, one thing that I think it really was going for, and depending on who you ask, you know, mixed results maybe, or maybe it hit it right between the eyes, fan service. Oh. Fan service. You have the callback moments we already mentioned. I don't, I, I can't tell one dinosaur from the other, but the original when, you know, the guy from Seinfeld was in the rain jacket and he's getting into his car and he drops the can and he's throwing the candy back. And no wonder you're extinct. And yeah. you think it's the small, not innocuous, but, you know, and then it opens up huge wings and spits yeah. their venom into his face and everything. And then that 30 probably... years later, it you get the same dinosaur that does the same thing to the guy that he was in league with. Exactly. In the very first movie. It's like yeah. karma <laughs> finally pays off on Dodson 30 years later. It's, and it's the same. It's the same thing. And I just, I have a bad habit. The pandemic combined with 30 years of watching mystery science theater 3000. I can't keep my mouth shut in the movies. A lot of <laughs> and you know, often in the summertime, my husband and I will go to the drive-in and nobody cares. So <laughs> when uh, Campbell Scott gets the first shot of it, I'm like, close your eyes. It's just going to get worse. Like out loud in the theater. I couldn't help myself. But yeah, the fact <laughs> that we got the Dilophosaurus again was was one of my favorite. That was my favorite thing. Um, that was a callback to the original movie. My favorite little inside joke was that scene where Dr. Grant sees them using electrodes to try and control the dinosaurs. And he's like, does that hurt them? And then do you know how many volts went through the fences at the original Jurassic, Jurassic Park? Yeah, that's I right. Do. That's right. That was, <laughs> I just I just applauded for that. I'm like, yeah, I do. And then there was that scene where the dinosaur its head comes up through that round fountain and just looks like yes that was absolutely beautiful and again like oh yeah you just happen to make a water feature right there that's a nice perfect circle so this t-rex comes by later (laughs) and as much you know as much as we love blue from the uh jurassic world franchise and as much as we want her to be is that a dinosaur on your back yeah And as much as we really want Owen to keep his promise to her and bring the baby back, there's one rule of Jurassic Park, and that is that the T-Rex wins in the end. And this one delivered, you know, once again, I'm like, yes, T-Rex! There may be bigger and better genetically engineered dinosaurs out there, but (laughs) everybody's first love is the T-Rex. Oh, very much so. But I have to also admit, how cool was that scene where we got the Quetzalcoatlus, which is kind of chasing uh, Bryce Dallas Howard in the swamp? In the water. Yeah, yeah or, or she's really not chasing her, but he's kind of like stalking around. That the the design for the Quetzalcoatlus was so good, and seeing it on the big screen, I was literally creeped out by the by the design because just like these mm-hmm. kind of almost fingers, should we say, which almost like feathers and fingers, and just that the, was terrible. What those feathers? So clothes? creepy, oh. man. Ooh, creepy. Yeah, I thought that was one of the best designs, and the fact that the whole the whole yeah. swamp chase and the way that was done. Fantastic. But I will say in Italy, we don't have swamps. That's the funny thing. I was there with my, with my mates who were watching this and like, um, guys, is there a part like that in the, in the Dolomites? Like, uh, no. And the fact that you have mountains and swamps, because as I was even telling Zan when she was messaging me, she was watching this movie. I'm like, one of the few decent things that Mussolini did 
was get rid of all the swamplands during the time that he was dictator of Italy. And that's why we didn't have swamps anymore, because he cleaned them up. Uh, and then we had to laugh because of the fact that you're in Italy and there are no Italians. No, there's okay. no. <laughs> There's absolutely none. And are you are you also trying to tell me that there's not some sort of underground dinosaur trading thing in Malta? Because that makes me sad. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> you have to go to Italy at some point to make it exotic, don't you? I mean, just like, oh, yeah, we're in Italy somewhere. <laughs> I exactly. My, my head canon is that this, you know, whatever, this conglomerate, you know, obviously has ways of genetically modifying crops and stuff has figured out ways to engineer the land around their facility so that it's more that closer works. to what the dinosaurs would expect to live in very fair that makes sense because other because like you see the uh, the dinosaurs elsewhere like where you know where blue is and you know these these other dinosaurs and they're wandering around in like the snow or in the park out, you know in Washington D.C. You know, the little girl playing with that little one while they Alan and Ellie are getting ready to go talk to the government and it's like you see all these dinosaurs environments that are not the environment that the dinosaurs naturally came from so yeah I would I just I would assume that the places where the dinosaurs are supposed to be <laughs> supposed to be air quotes <laughs> that they they had modified the the environment so that that was more comfortable and more accurate to what the dinosaurs would expect to live in that, that's a totally fair point i mean I, I think that that's a great explanation rachel because as i said yeah me and my me and my dumb friends were like yeah see they always get italy wrong don't they but uh, <laughs> other, than, other than that no but also can we can, can we always take a moment to talk about the locusts as zan was mentioned because those <laughs> locusts <man. laughs> i just i remember texting you in the blaming theater, locusts blaming locusts i remember texting those you the things theater, like, did this just turn into a giant locust movie and you're like yeah it did and i'm like <laughs> and there was a scene where somebody <laughs> got that scene where all the locusts get loose me and the woman next to me just started going nope 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 nope, nope. <laughs> That was, yeah, Rachel, I'm not a huge, I mean, I like bugs, but if they move real fast or, or when I say, if they have thighs, like if they have, you know, substantial thighs, I'm like, no, 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 you're, you're a little too, a little too jumpy for me. And I grew up no. with black and white, you know, giant bug movies and day of the locust and stuff like that. So I was like, did this really happen? And the idea that that's what this company is doing is creating these locusts to essentially require that you use their genetically modified seed <laughs> like it's ridiculous like <laughs> germ warfare for farms but it's locust warfare it, oh my god and of course of course somebody would do that of course somebody who is crooked enough to pay somebody millions of dollars to steal somebody else's research of course this stuff is what's going to happen there's this there's no way all of this is going to be for the greater good there's going to be, I mean, it, it, it takes money to create swamps in Italy again. <laughs> <laughs> Undo everything yeah. Mussolini did. Thank you. <laughs> it takes money to, to alter the ecosystem of Italy. <laughs> and if there's but profit I mean, to be uh, made. Exactly. But as, and as silly as this movie is, speaking of the locusts, that scene where they're walking through the locust room Mm -hmm. That I was literally getting goosebumps. I was That's getting the one where I was like, nope, 
I I totally felt the tension. I mean, okay, it's not Hitchcock's birds by any stretch of the imagination, but I got a similar kind of feeling to Hitchcock's birds in that moment when they come in the house and it's all infested with birds and, you know, and just sitting, standing there quietly and like you make the wrong movement and all hell is going to break loose. And so I will hand it to, to Trevorrow for, for shooting that scene so well and making us feel that tension as you know, silly as this film was, there were some some good scenes, I think, when it came to just, you know, well, well executed. Again, yeah. And again, we're talking about they can have these stories where the human populace is jaded by the concept of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World because they know that that's happening with the movie going public. That what are we going to give to a new Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movie that's going to make somebody want to see it? And giant locusts. I mean, we're talking, you know, we got a couple of generations of kids that have never seen giant locust movies and don't remember that from like Saturday morning television like I did. That's probably why they went for it. (laughs) That's probably why they went for it because they've got the cringe factor. Yeah, you got me, the audience that is like, oh yeah, locusts. And then kids are like, whoa, giant bugs. Again, and it's and it's a reminder that these companies are not dinosaur companies. They are not in the business of creating dinosaurs. They are in the business of genetic coding and genetic rewriting. And that's going to sometimes go awry. And that's going to sometimes lead to super secret projects that poor Henry has to work on to try and assuage his guilt from the last 20 years that he's had. At least he tries. At least at, at least the end, but yeah. I think just the way the movie ended, it seems like he got off scot-free after everything he did. And that pissed me off. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, I've got like a soft spot for Henry, but watching him like go up to the helicopter, hugging his briefcase, like, take me with you. I'm like, Henry, come on, have some dignity. I was angry with Henry in these new movies because it seemed like Henry started out with a little bit of overconfidence, but at least a bit of at least a tad bit of hubris you know the way in the beginning he's like he's like oh because all the animals jurassic jurassic park are female it's like well how do you know they're female even though he's a geneticist he should know that when you give something frog dna it's going to maybe do what it wants and then leading him into these new movies where he's just henry's been in the basement for 30 years just creating things and now he's like I can do whatever the hell I want with nature I can make these gigantic dinosaurs I can make I can make anything I want I think he goes a little crazy and then finally figures out at least Henry lives long enough to see, <laughs> to see how that doesn't work for him very well. I did expect Henry to die. I remember texting Nick during the movie saying, is Henry going to die? And he said, I, I will not tell you that. <laughs> so, I, so I was like, oh, that could go either way. And I was kind of surprised that I was glad so many people made it out of this movie safely, but I was kind of surprised that Henry was one of them. I do like that he's trying, and I think he probably made some sort of immunity deal that like, hey, tell us what you know, and we can stop these giant locusts and save the world, and maybe we won't send you to prison. But I think he's one of the more interesting characters that has been throughout this whole thing, and I was very interested going into this movie to see how he would turn out. I I was really interested in his downfall or his absolution. And now he works for the Umbrella Corporation, making pretty much. Yeah, pretty much does. Yeah, that's pretty much his gig now. Well, it's interesting that you say that you had expected or predicted that he would die. I was fully expecting one of the original trio to die. I was too. And I was very, very surprised. Yeah. I was surprised and happy because, like I said, I thought it was going to be Dr. Malcolm. 
because Dr. Malcolm did not make it out of the first book. So he's been living on borrowed time. You see, and I thought it would be Dr. Grant's. Okay. I thought yeah. it would be Sam Neill who wouldn't survive the film. I knew Laura Dern would survive. He's the only woman that doesn't have kids. I keep bringing up the fact that Ellie's got two kids, even though they're grown. Yeah. Malcolm's like, I got five kids, uh, you know, I money and everybody's and They're all like, do you have kids? No. It's like, yeah, yeah let's kill off the guy who doesn't have any family. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I kind of thought that would be coming too, or, but I was, I was glad it didn't happen. I was hoping for like a kingdom of the crystal skull ending where, <laughs> where we get to see <laughs> Dr. Grant and Dr. Sadler get married. I was so, I, I've been so, I've been rooting for those kids since 93. <laughs> I think we've all been shipping for them. <laughs> um, speaking of Crystal Skull, you were all saying earlier how there was some sequences in Dominion that reminded you of James Bond or Jason Bourne. I was actually reminded of Crystal Skull, the motorcycle chase. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Doesn't Crystal Skull begin at least in Italy or am I mixing that up with another one? I think it might have been Last Crusade was Italy. No, Last, Last Crusade opens in the American Southwest with River Phoenix. Yeah, and then, right, we, go right, to, right. then we go to Venice after that. Right, then Venice okay. is after. Well, but whether it was in Italy or somewhere else, just the whole concept of a motorcycle it's a, it's a sequence. Boat, it's a boat chase, not a motorcycle chase. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't go between them. Go between them. You're crazy. Yeah. You're crazy. <laughs> well, the next question that I have for you might sound a bit morbid, but I think given the nature of this franchise, it might actually be a question worth exploring. Is there a moment in any of the six films that you would pinpoint as the one that is the most disturbing? Or the most, the one that gets under your skin the most, the one that creeps you out the most, the one that, the, the one that really le legitimately, for real, gave you the creeps. Well, I mean, as I mentioned, that walk through the the room for the locusts very much kind of made me feel uncomfortable. Anything involving like swarms of locusts. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Exactly. That was that was that was the one I would say. But when it comes to really sort of good, profound moments. I loved Maisie basically seeing the videos of her mom and everything else and seeing what she's going to turn out to become and what's going to happen to her. And that's mm. why I think, I think this franchise still has legs, which I know we're going to be touching up on later on in this, on this podcast, Frank. But I, those were my two big moments, I would say. I mean, aside from all the fun, you know, I mean, heck, choking a Dilophosaurus and getting it to, to ingest its own venom, like, shut up! And so it, it kind of just didn't, didn't get to do its thing. But yeah, to me, at least, the most iconic, or should we say creepy moments, were the, the, the room full of locusts, because being a huge Hitchcock fan, as I said, loving the birds and what Hitchcock does with that film, I think uh, Trevorrow very much borrowed from the master himself so that was that was what that was my favorites anyways the one thing that i i can't watch and i have to fast forward through is the volcano the volcano is so upsetting to me and i don't know what dinosaurs sound like but having them cry out like why are you leaving and not taking us that really really got to me that was because that's life finds a way and sometimes life is magma and that's what happens. And I have this, you know, I, I, <laughs> I felt for these dinosaurs thinking they're going, what, again? What? Huh? What is it with the rocks and us? So <laughs> that that was a very, very difficult one for me to see. Yeah, the locust was very creepy. And the one that still tenses me, even though I know it's going to happen, <laughs> is in the first movie when they're going through the like the ductwork and the, the scaffolding. They're going through the scaffolding and one of one of the one of the raptors pops its head up and lifts up Lex and then comes back down and then Lex falls and they almost don't get her leg back up. 
that to this day, I'm still, my heart's racing, even though I know she's fine. I've seen this movie. <laughs> that kitchen scene, how good is that kitchen scene? And that was another oh, one. Oh, two velociraptors. The kitchen scene, Lex is trying to close the thing and you think it's coming right at her, but it gets her reflection. That's gorgeous. But yeah, I get, I still get tense when they just in the nick of time pull Lex's leg up from that. And I remember <laughs> the first time I saw this movie and Muldoon dies. When he when he sees the the other raptor, I'm like, of course, you told us she was going to be there. I knew it. <laughs> I thought that was such a perfect that was perfect and fitting for him. And I loved that that character was written in a way to almost respect the fact that the raptors were doing what they were supposed to be doing. But yeah, that Lex leg scene still scares me, and the and the volcano scene I just can't watch. It is just too just too heart wrenching. Other than the locusts, I mean, that's. Uh, <laughs> Are you still now, on the other the end of the spectrum? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, the scenes that you're just like, you know, that's that's locusts and bugs and stuff. And you know, if you want to go to the complete other end of the spectrum, you know, shirtless Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Always excellent. The scene you put on super slow motion, if not pause. <laughs> Have you seen the gif of him breathing heavily? With Alan Sam, Grant on him? Alan Grant is on him. And he... <laughs> That's one of my favorite things ever. I love it. <laughs> I would probably have to say the most psychologically disturbing scene was the one that I already mentioned with Seinfeld in the car with the venom in his face. Psychologically, I think that's the one that got me the most. Just that moment where all of a sudden it spreads its wings and it hisses. But if I had to pinpoint a scene that I found disturbing in the visceral sense, I'd probably have to go to Jurassic World and the death of Bryce Dallas Howard's assistant, the one who was supposed an- to be. Yeah, that's another one for me too, because she's picked up and then dropped in the water, dropped, picked, picked up, again. up again, yeah, and then back and forth, breaking the surface of the water. How many times while yeah. remaining clutching it? It's like, oh, that, yeah, one, that one was, was that was a rough death. Yeah. But I did find that a lot like the rules of sequels that they did get progressively more and more rough, especially mm-hmm. the Jurassic Worlds. You and know, you, you think having people we didn't like or the people we liked because we 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 like her. We like Bryce Dallas Howard's assistant. We don't like Gennaro. We don't like Dennis Nedry. And we're mm. sort of like, good job, T-Rex. Eat that stupid lawyer. But when it comes to this, you're like, no, no, no. All she's doing is she's, don't, not her. Don't pick her up. Then she's engaged. She was talking <laughs> about not wanting her fiance to go to a bachelor party. <laughs> it's like, and, oh. and she was Lena Luther uh, when it goes, she was Lex Luther's sister on in the CW. You actually turned good and was Supergirl's friend. So I'm like, don't do that to a Luther. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Was it Jimmy Buffett that the dinosaur gets caught on the grill? <laughs> what restaurant was that? Was that Jimmy Buffett? I think it might have been. He's running with a couple of he's double fisted margaritas. Like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> wasn't there a section of Jurassic World, the, the pack itself, I mean, that was called Margaritaville? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville is an actual chain of restaurants. So they just had one. Oh, it was the restaurant world. itself. But then okay. they had actual yeah. Jimmy Buffett make a cameo. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah. And Jimmy Fallon was in the gyrosphere. Yep. That instructional how-to oh, yeah. video. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the last question that I have that I hope that you'll really enjoy answering here just to get the conversation really going. If you had to select a character out of all six films, your absolute favorite, which one would it be? 
Malcolm, hundred percent. That's a very tough question. Um, I mean, there's, I guess part of me wants to say Muldoon because I love that actor so much and he meant so much to me as a kid because he was the soldier in the soldier in death in the storyteller. And I'm like, dude, you survived, you trapped death, yet you couldn't get over a bloody raptor. So that kind of upset me. But, uh, <laughs> but joking aside, I mean, Muldoon is in my heart forever because of the fact of being the soldier in the soldier in death. But I would probably have to say throughout... Hmm. I mean, the thing is, Macy's really grown on me and I really like that character because I think it really has potential. So I might have to say her and with Alan Grant as a close second, because I've always been also a fan of Alan. So I think those are those are my my two favorites. And of course, I mean, it's a three way tie. Let's throw in Owen as well, because heck, you know, Star-Lord, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I my, my second is for sure Ellie Sadler and then. Yeah, I really love Alan Grant, but yeah, gut reaction, absolutely, Ian Malcolm. I think that's why that's why I like Jurassic World so much is because it's just nothing but Ian Malcolm. And he's always been right. Just like, why are you doing this? <laughs> this is, you know, I am enthralled, but I am also appalled. You need to not do this. <laughs> like I said, I love that the movies give him more of a shot than the book did. How about you, Rachel? Who's your favorite? Uh, I, I do like Ian Malcolm. You know, Jeff Goldblum is pretty awesome. Uh, Heck yeah. I mean, it's, it's Jeff Goldblum. The T-Rex. <laughs> oh, good one. Good one. And a shout out to Mr. DNA. <laughs> Fantastic. That, okay, that's great. <laughs> I'd probably have to I'm go Mr. with Ellie DNA. <laughs> Dinosaurs. <laughs> somewhere he and miss minutes have gotten together and i want that series is breaking I want, loose i want mr dna <laughs> and miss minutes mcu missed opportunity give us miss minutes and mr dna in a family setting please yeah. that would be a series i would tune in for for real well now might be a good time for us to uh sort of well, who's your favorite did you tell us oh no i didn't no you didn't Honestly, I would go with Laura Dern's character, Ellie Sadler. I remember seeing The Lost World, and as much as I think Julianne Moore is phenomenal in pretty much everything she does, I still couldn't help but miss Laura Dern. She was, kind of playing, she was kind of playing Laura Dern, I felt. Yeah, yeah. Like she was the, you know? the surrogate Laura Dern. She was... I, th I think Julianne Moore, unfortunately... Well, I mean, maybe it was the best thing that happened to her career, but... It seems like at some a lot of her earlier roles or some of her earlier mainstream roles, she tended to be the the replacement. You know, she was the new Clarice in the Silence of the Lambs sequel. She was in the remake of The End of the Affair. She's, you know, the new Laura Dern That's in The true. Lost World. So and then yeah. she was in the remake of Psycho. So it's like she was either doing a remake or a sequel until she finally, I think, got the roles that she deserves. But but I, exactly. Laura she, Dern. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. And I love that character. I love that we have another character that is like enthralled, but afraid and respectful of these animals. But it's Julianne Moore doing Ellie Sadler. Yeah, and I I, often, I remember wondering at the time, was Laura Dern asked to come back and just unavailable? I mean, I know it wasn't the same character per se. Well, <laughs> I know might have been a little bit awkward at that moment. That was around the time she was engaged to Jeff Goldblum and then ran off with Billy Bob Thornton. And Ooh. while they were together, he did a movie with Angelina Jolie and the rest is history. So it might have been awkward. 
<laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And All recently, in, the last, in like in like the last five years, Laura Dern has come back to the screen with some of her exes to make some amazing stuff. This movie, Twin Peaks: The Return. You know, it's like when it's once it's been 30 years and you've all made millions of dollars, you know, bygones are bygones. That's just my gossipy theory. So. <laughs> well, I know that Jeff Goldblum came out and said that he was flat out not even asked to do the third one. But now mm-hmm. I'm wondering if maybe they didn't want him in the third one for, for that kind of a reason. Who knows? Yeah. It, yeah. I'm. That is a really good question. And I think it, it would have, you know, like you were saying, you said, you know, Jeff Goldblum's a little bit better leading man. And I, I think if we'd had him in all of these, it would have become Jurassic Park featuring Jeff Goldblum. It would have become like the Jeff Goldblum show. Right. Like an Indiana Jones. Right. Right. And even even for the small amount that he's in, is he in Jurassic World? He is is glimpsed briefly on the cover of his book, his character's book. Right. And then you have him in Fallen Kingdom. Right. In the courtroom or the Senate hearing. The Senate hearing. Yeah. So even with those little bits, you're all like, yay, and Malcolm. But I think this is about the dinosaurs. We're here for the dinosaurs. Yeah. That's what I think a lot of the franchises, a lot of the rebooted franchise, especially that the direction that they're going in is not quite getting that concept that sometimes less is more. Yeah. And I think that's part of why I love this character is because when we do see him later and later, he's sticking to his guns like life finds a way, life finds a way, life finds a way. And even when he's working for Dodson, he's like trying to bring it down from the inside. (laughs) He wants to follow that Michael Corleone rule of keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Like if this is going to be going on, he doesn't want to be blindsided by it again. I don't feel like he's the turncoat the way I feel like Henry is a little bit, where Henry just really gets seduced by the power of what he's able to do. So is now a good time to see how well we know the Jurassic Park franchise. I have trivia questions for each of you. <laughs> oh, okay. Questions that might be about the movies themselves, but might also be about the people involved in them. Is there anybody who would like to be the first to go? Or should I just call on someone? Nick, okay. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Oh, you raised like, oh. your hand, dude. Okay, because Anthony is like, nope. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I got that we all the That's time. not the way it looked in the Zoom window. <laughs> yeah, we only saw your left hand, though. We oh, only I saw the see this one. I was like, That's okay. better. Yeah. Too late, though. That, we'll take that. Dang <laughs> camera. Okay. Uh, in my classroom, what I always get is, oh, no, I was just stretching. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Out of all six Jurassic Park films in the franchise so far, exactly how many of them does Sam Neill appear in? Okay. Um, But but, but let me see. Is that uh, five? No, sorry, four. It's actually three. Damn it. (laughs) He's in the first one. He's in the third one. And he's in Dominion, the most recent Uh, one. Damn my feeble brain. (laughs) All right, Zan, the one that I have for you. Okay. Laura Dern, you mentioned how she, in the past several years, has been doing more movies again. She's been more visible. And for what movie did Laura Dern receive her Academy Award three years ago for Best Supporting Actress? Oh, God, what was that? It was something I didn't see, unfortunately. And I can't remember. I know she thanked her parents. She said that she should never meet your heroes, but mine are my parents. Oh, 
I don't remember. It's I haven't seen it, so I, I can't. I don't remember. And give you a hint. It's Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Oh, Marriage Story. Was yeah, a Marriage have Story. Not, have not seen that because I do not want to be that tense to watch those people fight like that. I've seen that scene. I'm like, every day I wish you were dead. And I'm like, never watching this movie. <laughs> I do it's not a, need that tension in my life. <laughs> there are movies like that that are just like, I mean, the, the writing and the acting are top notch, but the content is very nauseating. And Marriage Story is one of them. All right. And Rachel, the question that I have for you. Judy Greer appears in Jurassic World as the mother of the two teenage boys. 2015 was the first Jurassic World. Now, Judy Greer also has a starring role in what other recently rebooted franchise? It's a horror series, and she plays the daughter, the on-screen daughter, of a very well-known OG final girl. Oh, the Halloween. Yes, she's Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter. Yeah. So as we begin to wrap things up, does anybody have any final thoughts or anything that you wanted to be sure to mention about any or all of the Jurassic Park films or Jurassic Worlds? The only thing I wanted to add is, um, of course, it's known that Colin Trevorrow, who directed the three Jurassic World movies, announced he is stepping away at this point. But he said to the fans, you know, rest assured there will be more. I'm happy there will be more. I mean, I get folks who say this could be the end of the franchise in the sense that it's a, it's a great ending for everything. But I think there's still stories to be told. And if it's done properly, not just, should we say, for the money and just to get butts in seats, but actually tell a good story, as silly as it can be, but keep it entertaining. I think we can still, this, uh, this uh, franchise has legs for days. I really think so. So, uh, I mean, I'd like to see more about the Macy character. I think Macy could be the ongoing character at this point, you know, leave the rest behind and maybe start a whole new story with Macy kind of discovering herself and, and finding out about things about, you know, her past, I think would be great. But that's me. I mean, I would give me all the Jurassic worlds. I mean, I, I'm just happy if there are more. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's my thought anyway, when it comes to this. And I, I love this franchise so much. I mean, I put it up there with the Aliens franchise. I love the, my, my two favorite franchises are the Aliens franchise and the Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World franchise. So I'm happy to see it continue personally. I have feelings about it because I feel like this is a great way to end this franchise because we, we, we got everybody together as much as we could, but at the same time, there's still dinosaurs out there. I mean, we see that at the end of the movie of people trying to deal with the fact that dinosaurs are now cohabitating the world with us. I think if we are going to see more of these movies, I want 99% of the old cast just done. I mean, I'm talking Chris Pratt. I'm talking whatever happens to Henry. I think he needs to finally retire. He needs to come up from the basement, get a haircut, you know, maybe get some sun, take off his grandpa's sweater. <laughs> at, <laughs> you know, at best, I'd want to hear something like Nick Maisie. I think we could go along with Maisie. I think Justice Smith's character could be someone who goes along further in these stories. And at best, maybe we hear the two of them talk about, oh, I haven't seen you since Dr. Sadler and Dr. Grant's wedding or something like that, where we maybe mention that, or like we said, a book on the shelf with somebody's picture on it, or, you know, you walk past the Hammond wing or like you do in uh, Jurassic World, those sorts of things. But I think for cast, I think we need this cast to be to bed for sure. 
again, I am curious about Lex and Tim. I've always been curious about Lex and Tim. You know, we see them for 10 seconds in Lost World, visiting their sick grandfather. We do know that they were also sort of sworn to secrecy with their NDA that they had to sign. But I would like to see this go take a complete 180 when it comes to casting. We can maybe mention Grace Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt if we are going to have Maisie, because they were, of course, raising her as, as her parents. But I'm even thinking we need to leave Blue behind. Not, nothing wrong with Blue. She's just there raising her baby. You know, she's just doing the mom thing. Of course, we're going to need a T-Rex. I mean, that's the one constant is that you have to have a T-Rex in a Jurassic Park movie. I am perfectly happy if we keep this to bed. But if we do, I think we're going to have something completely different. And like I said, Maisie and maybe Justice Smith are the only people who I'd want to see continue. And Rachel, how about you? I would be kind of okay with them putting the entire franchise to bed, actually, at this point. I don't necessarily see where they could go with it because the way they ended the movie, obviously they, they stopped the global food disaster with locusts and seemingly, yeah, I mean, there's still going to be hiccups, but humanity is figuring out a way to cohabitate with dinosaurs, part of the ecosystem again, unless maybe some sort of plot where because of the genetic engineering something happens down the line where maybe the dinosaurs start unexpectedly dying off and it looks like we're going to have another extinction event and people have to they have to decide whether it's worth saving them again or if we hmm. should let them you know let them become extinct again i think really we we can only do the dinosaurs running around killing people so many times so maybe if we start getting you know getting more into the scientific side of it maybe it could be interesting because if you do it right especially when the science sounds like it could potentially be legitimate that's an interesting concept exploring more of the scientific and philosophical and ethical questions I mean, mm -hmm. they kind of glossed over throughout the franchise, but to have a movie that really digs deep into those questions without throwing in the same old, same old as a way of making sure that audiences are enticed enough to buy a ticket to, you know, to see what they presumably yeah. came for. I'm sure they're going to go some way with it because this movie made a profit. When a movie makes a profit and it's part of a franchise, the franchise ain't dead. It's like, how many times has Motley Crue done the farewell tour at this point? I mean, you know, same kind of thing. Wherever there's a buck to be made, there is a movie to be made. So we can count on it happening at some point, whether it's 10 years down the line or five or 15 or however many, it'll be rebooted somewhere along the line. And hopefully it will do something that's creative and different. My final thought about Dominion is that all the credit to it for trying something different. I mean, trying something different does not necessarily always result in something good or better. Sometimes it doesn't work. But if a movie at least tries to go into uncharted territory to move into greener pastures all the power to them definitely and also the good thing is that it was the same director for all three because sometimes with these big franchises your director might change from one movie to the next so i'm glad that you know they stuck with trevorrow from uh Jurassic world all the way to dominion because you know we've seen also with the harry potter franchise they change directors in between so uh, and they can't i mean Th those movies are, are great fun. Granted, we don't like to talk about J.K. Rowling too much these days, but uh, mm. when it comes to the films, they, it works, but there are some disjointed elements within the franchise, and you can tell it's a different director. Because it's just, it's, it's, uh, I mean, that's just the way it is, because every director is, like a, a, it's an, is an artist or a painter. They will have a different style. 
And that's what happened with the Star Wars sequel trilogy. You know, they because Trevor was initially going to be doing the final one, episode nine, and then he wasn't creative differences. And they brought back J.J. Abrams and that destroyed. Well, not in my eyes necessarily, but a lot of people say that destroyed the continuity of the sequel trilogy. So when you do have different directors that sometimes can, sometimes it, it helps to have fresh ideas brought to the table. But if it's not all planned out in advance, if it's, you know, make it up as you go along, that tends to lead a franchise into a direction where it really didn't want to go. Because you might just have different, a different vision compared to the chap who was on the project before you. Exactly. Not that one is good and one is bad, but you know, when you put apples and oranges together and... But when you have the same vision, then you can have a situation like with Irvin Kirshner and Richard Marquand. True. Where this, in, in my opinion, those are very seamless. Or even something like Alien versus Aliens. Yeah. Where you, where you, you have Ridley Scott, who is fantastic with that sort of atmospheric introduction. And then Cameron Bilbo. come along, yeah. And then Cameron, who is pretty good with that militaristic kind of thing then mm. so you know the different visions can work together if the focus is the vision if the focus isn't like i'm gonna do my jurassic park story or something <laughs> it has to be like i need to show how i would do jurassic park justice rather than trying to leave your leave your mark on it i mean a jurassic park i would never for example i would never want to see wes anderson's jurassic park as much as or I Michael Bay's, God forbid. No, oh, for God's sake. no, yeah. no, 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 no. Please, I God, mean, no. And he's probably like drooling to get his hands on it. But as much as I love Wes Anderson or even Paul Thomas Anderson, <laughs> two of my, my favorite directors <laughs> named Anderson, that's not what I want from them. I don't want that. Same thing with Michael Bay. I mean, Michael Bay has his place, but not with this franchise. No, this franchise is too nuanced. There's too many subtleties that you have to respect. And I don't think, I don't think he could, he could do that. That works. <laughs> I really like the way you put that. Well, once again, thank you to all three of you. Thank you for making the time to come on to Silver Screeners today, sharing your thoughts on this franchise, both good and bad points about it. Anytime you'd like to come on, you're more than welcome. My Zoom is always open. So Thank just you for wanna... having us. I, I, I know I speak for Nick when I say we could talk about Jurassic Park all day. So this was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, just one more time, just to make sure that we do get your shows all, all in here. Once again, if you wanted to offer your social information, if people wanted to get a hold of you, if people wanted to contact you or where your podcast can be found. Sure. Uh, well, when it comes to you know our our podcast, uh, Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, of course, as I mentioned before, we are reviewing all the best picture winners in chronological order from 1927's Wings to present day. You can find our podcast everywhere you get you find podcasts, of course, as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the like. If you want to follow us, you can find us on Twitter at Oscars Gold or on Facebook as Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. And outside of that. Um, it comes to me personally, you can find me hosting Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast. Where we discuss all superhero movies under the sun. And also uh, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on uh, the Fandom Zone, where this month we're very excited because we're going to be discussing, of course, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law and Sandman. So uh, some definitely some exciting things indeed. And if you are of the country music persuasion, you can uh, find check out my radio show, Whiskey and Cigarettes. Where we play today's country, traditional country and everything else in between. And uh, Rachel, where can folks find you? When I am not in the gold standard theater, 
You can find me with the Five-ish Fangirls podcast or a weekly pop culture and entertainment podcast where we talk about all number of things geeky and nerdy from the female perspective. We can be found pretty much wherever you find podcasts. Pick an app. You can probably find us. And also at the fiveishfangirls.com where you can connect with all of our social media accounts and my personal ones as well. And Zang, what about and- you? You can find me and the aforementioned Charles Skaggs on Ghostwood, the Twin Peaks podcast, where we discuss Twin Peaks and David Lynch and all things tangentially related to Twin Peaks and David Lynch. Charles and I also do a podcast called Drunk Cinema, where we enjoy our favorite adult beverages as we watch our favorite movies. You can hear our ramblings, our trivia, our movie facts, our opinions. We actually did Jurassic Park on Drug Cinema featuring DJ Nick. So if you want to hear us talk more about Jurassic Park, even louder and with more slurred speech, please check us out. (laughs) Wherever you find your podcasts, Drug Cinema. You can find me on social media as Udinax19 on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Or Zansprouse on Facebook, but the other ones I'm more active on. Excellent. So definitely anybody listening, definitely check these shows out. Thank you all again. And I'm really looking forward to the next time we collaborate. Oh, we look forward to to it for sure. I mean, Frank, I believe you will be returning next year, actually, to discuss a certain English patient. That's right. We have that scheduled for, I think it's February of next year. Correct. Yeah, it should be around around my birthday. So uh, (laughs) that'll make it way more uh, pleasant. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. It's always a great time to to get onto Zoom and to talk movies with all three of you. So thank you again. Keep on screening. That was my conversation with the three hosts of Gold Standard. I want to thank each of them again for being on the show. And here's to more collaborations in the future. And now it's time to announce the results of this week's online poll. So the poll question for this episode, number 61, served up four photos from the Jurassic films and asked which image would be your worst nightmare. A. The two velociraptors in the kitchen cornering the two kids in the original film. B. The reflection in the side view mirror of the T-Rex chasing the jeep transporting a wounded and shirtless Jeff Goldblum with the words, objects in mirror may be closer than they appear, inscribed in the glass. C. From 2015's Jurassic World, the kid from Love, Simon, and the kid from the Insidious movies inside a glass globe out in the open fields, the dinosaur's turf, trapped like giant gerbils. Or D. Chris Pratt on his motorcycle being chased. Of the 15 votes on Facebook, there were 6 for A, 8 for B, 1 for C, and 0 for D. Sorry, Pratt, but looks like no one in the Facebook group thinks that you were really in any significant danger. On Twitter, 17% of votes went for B, with a whopping 83% sympathizing with the kids in the kitchen. And on Instagram, McEwen Life sends her hat out to the kids as well, saying, At least with the other three, I feel like the vehicle would give me a better chance of getting away. Davey A. from the podcast I'd Give That 10 Minutes and my co-host of my other film podcast, Movies Across the Pod. He goes for the side-view mirror of the T-Rex chasing the Jeep, saying, Would be terrifying to see that in the mirror. Be sure to listen to I'd Give That Ten Minutes, which just began production on its fourth season. And, of course, give our joint project, Movies Across the Pod, a go as well. We just released an episode on yet another Spielberg film, 1982's Poltergeist. 
As always, a big thank you to everyone who voted. These polls are nothing more than silly fun meant to generate interest in each new episode, so thank you for making it happen. And keep your eyes open on my socials for the next poll. Just check out the Silver Screeners group on Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter at FilmBuff1974, as well as Instagram at FrankMendoza1974, that's M-A-N-D-O-S-A, or you can email SilverScreenersPod at gmail.com. And here is the point where we head on over to the listener trivia segment. In each episode, a trivia question is put forth that either directly or indirectly relates to that episode's featured movie or cast and crew involved. Everyone's invited to take a crack at answering. If you're apprehensive about having your full name read aloud, then no worries there. I err on the side of caution. I only announce first name and last initial. But if you tell me otherwise when you send in your answer, then full names it is. You get a shout-out as well as a movie-related meme sent your way with a personalized greeting. And don't worry about timing either. It does not matter what episode you're listening to, however far back it may be or however recent. Just answer any trivia question at any time. You will get your meme and your shout-out no matter what. And if you're a creator of anything from music to podcasts to websites to pottery to cupcakes, I'm always happy to give you a no-strings-attached plug because people help people, and that is all there is to it. So last time we looked at two of Spielberg's earlier films, 1971's Duel and 1975's Jaws, and the question was, Richard Dreyfus, one of the co-stars of Jaws, reunited with Spielberg for what 1977 UFO-themed film that brings him to Devil's Tower in Wyoming? And the answer is... Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So sit up, look up to the heavens, and you'll see your face in the shining, glimmering cinema firmament, you trivia conquerors. In no particular order, you are... Stu from the Stu and Al pod, who gave me a good chuckle when he commented on the image of a disheveled Dreyfus building the replica of Devil's Tower in his own house. Stu said, Is that Julia Roberts from Pretty Woman? Stu, how'd you guess? And give the Stu and Al pod a listen. They were on Silver Screeners at the end of last year for an episode of our favorite Coen Brothers films. And I was on theirs in January for a segment on the films of... Wait for it. Spielberg. I've been a regular listener coming up on two years now. Also in the trivia winner circle is one of the best musicians of his generation, and I mean that, Jason Ebbs. Get his music on your playlists now. This guy writes it, he sings it, he's about as talented as they come. His new single is called Undone, and his album's A Super Ego and The Deep End. We've known each other for about eight years, so it's incredibly cool to see his music career taken off the way that it is. We also got my buddy Chris from the podcast The Movie Psycho, who's continuing his streak of perfect games like the bowling champ he is. He buries us all by doing a couple of episodes a week, so hats off to you, Chris, for that level of commitment. Robbo and Cheeto from the Film Geezes podcast, who were guests a couple of months ago to talk about the 40th anniversary of Blade Runner. They knocked it out of the pack as well. Lots of good stuff to be found on their show. They're a father and son podcasting team, and they make great content. In fact, I think I mentioned before that one of my favorite episodes of theirs is when they talk about their favorite movie scores. The Whiskey Hell podcast as well, and they had this to offer. The truck scene in Close Encounters was awesome. The mashed potato scene was fantastic. Just a great flick. Whiskey Hell, you have taken the words right out of my mouth. And I'm looking forward to discovering your show. 
Thanks for playing. Longtime regular listener and fellow film buff, Mary C. Congratulations are in order for you as well. Great to hear from you again, as always. DJ Nick, one of today's three guests, also nailed it with his answer. Thank you for playing good, sir. I hope you play again. Good going as well to Mike W., my co-host of a local cable movie review show called Real Life. That's R-E-E-L. Get it? That we do for our town's cable station. He calls Close Encounters another great Spielberg movie, and yep, you're right, Mike. It's fantastic. Good hearing from you. Amanda P., thank you as well for playing along. Interesting thing that I didn't know. Amanda and I have known each other for over 20 years, even though we haven't seen each other in probably forever. But she said that she's actually been to Devil's Tower in Wyoming and commented on how cool it was. I bet it must have been. My lovely sister-in-law, Liz M., you too are one with the intergalactic family. For you guessed the correct intergalactic-themed film, go you. And then there's the No on 15 podcast, a great show that talks movies and other forms of pop culture that provoke nostalgia for the 80s and 90s. We have a collaboration lined up, which I'm really excited about, so stay tuned, everybody. Thanks to all of you. Keep your eyes open for those memes, and to anyone else listening, no time like the present. Join the trivia. It's fun. And why not begin with this episode's question? This week's trivia is actually a shameless tie-in with the latest episode of Movies Across the Pod. I mentioned already how our latest takes a look at 1982's Poltergeist, which was directed by Toby Hooper, but co-written and produced by Steven Spielberg. Name the actress who auditioned for the role of Little Carol Ann in Poltergeist. Spielberg very much liked what he saw in terms of her acting, but figured that she was not right for the character of Carol Ann in Poltergeist. He said to her, Don't you worry, I have a role in mind for you that you're going to love. And that role turned out to be the little sister Gertie in 1982's E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Name this actress. Send in your answers, and as always, if you have any follow-up questions or have any comments on anything from today's episode, or any episode that you've listened to, hit me up on my socials. Once again, that's FilmBuff1974 on Twitter, the film group Silver Screen is on Facebook, Frank Mendoza 1974 on Instagram, or you can email silverscreenispod at gmail.com. And that brings episode 61 to a close. As always, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Please don't hesitate to give Silver Screeners a rating on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Catch you next time. My name is Frank, wishing you good health, good weather, and good movies. And until next time, keep on screening. And I leave you now with the soothing sounds of Spielberg's Great White Shack from the fictional island of Amity down the Cape. That's Cape Cod Mass for non-mass folks. Unexpectedly running into Spielberg's other creation a proud, vicious T-Rex who gets his what for once he sees that sharks have lethal teeth, too. How's a macho T-Rex to react when it's got the living shit scared out of it?